0: Good afternoon. It's Friday, the 19th of August, 2022, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. I'm your host, Mike Robinson. Joining me in the studio today, Patrick Henningsen from 21st Century Wire. Welcome to the programme, Patrick.
1: Great to be with you, Mike.
0: And we've got Vanessa Bailey joining us by video link from Damascus, uh, as usual. So uh, let's get straight on with economic news. Uh, And the report from uh, the University of York is as if it should come as a surprise to anybody that more than half of UK households uh, will be in fuel poverty by the new year, according to a new report that they have released. Uh, so this is a, re- a study co-authored by uh, Jonathan Bradshaw of the Social Policy Research Unit at the University of York. Uh, and they're saying that, uh, uh, as we say, fuel poverty for 50 percent of the population in the new year, of course, this is as a result of the continuing rises in the, uh, the, the, the cap on fuel costs and so on uh, coming from uh, gen. Uh, And uh, so they're expecting 18 million families, uh, 45 million people will struggle to make ends meet uh, by then. So I think the BBC today was suggesting that uh, prices would go up to about uh, £3,600 annually for fuel costs uh, from whatever it is at the moment. The average is something around £1,400 a year. Um, And I mean, this has got to have a massive impact on people, particularly... Uh, with If we look at this article from the BBC, they headlining at uh, growing share of under 30s pay unaffordable rent. Uh, and this is uh, uh, saying that people under 30 are facing growing cost of renting crisis, uh, four in 10, so 40% in that age group are now spending more than 30% of their pay on rent. Uh, and that's a five-year high. Uh, but w- one thing that the BBC doesn't mention in this article, Patrick, is that uh, in June this year, property mark, uh, re- released some statistics talking about the number of properties available to rent through agents. Uh, and that, that uh, uh, basically during t- from 2019 to 2022, which is the same period that this BBC article is talking about, 94% of landlords removed their pro- who removed their uh, properties from the rental market did so to sell them because, you know, they're in potentially in the position that uh, the the rents that they can command no longer and with rising interest rates and so on no longer cover the the rental uh, the the mortgage repayments, um, but basically they're saying that the number of uh, properties available to rent has more or less halved in that time mm-hmm. from twenty nineteen to twenty twenty two. So uh, the cost of living crisis isn't just about inflation and the cost of of uh, in the sense of the cost of energy, but also the fact that uh, availability of properties to rent is. Uh, becoming quite a critical issue. I mean, we know in Plymouth, I mean, I know personally around a dozen people that are being evicted at the moment as a result of uh, of properties being sold out from under them. So this is clearly not a, a problem that's, uh, it's being fairly underreported. It's not a problem that's sort of restricted to the southeast of England by any means.
1: Well, you, when you restrict the supply of anything, what happens to the price? Uh, it normally goes up, yes. which is a perfect storm during a economic downturn. Uh, but the big problem here, Mike, is, well, what's the government's uh, answer? What's their solutions for skyrocketing uh, exorbitant uh, energy costs, basically highway robbery for working class families? What's their answer? Have they come up with any solutions?
0: Uh, £400, I think, is the answer.
1: A £400 what, voucher for Christmas or something?
0: Well, uh, people are getting it as cash if they're paying by direct debit. But if they're on a pay-as-you-go uh, meter, uh, then they're getting a voucher, yes.
1: And what's that going to do to inflation, printing up all that money?
0: Uh, but the point is that it's not going to cover, it's not going to even come close to dealing with the problem. You're it's g- really a gesture at best.
1: You're going to pay, you're going to pay, you'll end up paying over 1500 in inflation over the year yes. for what the government's printing up to give away a 400 pound voucher. That's the point. Pa- printing up money and giving vouchers is not a solution to out of control energy markets. It's just going to get worse. These governments mm-hmm. and these ministers have no solutions at all.
0: Correct. Uh, let's uh, move on to health issues then. And uh, well, we've got a 75 year anniversary.
1: 75 year anniversary of the Nuremberg Code, not the Nuremberg trials themselves. That a- anniversary came and went last year. But the Nuremberg Codes, uh, this is really important in the context of the pandemic or the so called global pandemic and the massive vaccine rollout. So, a few uh, doctors and conscientious health professionals have put together uh, an interesting video there's also a number of events here that are happening this is a world health council there's a lot of things to commemorate this so it is it is there's a lot of activity around this we've got this video you'll rec- you'll recognize some of the doctors yeah. and some of the personalities in here uh, from uh, doctors for covid ethics for instance uh, Sutark bhakti and others but i think it's worth listening to and these points although many of our viewers will have known many of these things already and understand them, it's still very important to reiterate and to put the whole global pandemic fiasco uh, into into context. But let's, let's watch this.
2: It was almost 75 years ago, on August 19, 1947, that the city of Nuremberg was the place of an historic declaration.
3: When the judges of the military tribunal against leading medical officers in the Nazi administration passed their verdict. They issued What has become known as the Nuremberg Code since then. The court laid out 10 basic principles which must be observed to satisfy moral, ethical and legal concepts. Informed consent and the right to opt out are two principles of the Nuremberg Code.
2: Today when the entire world population is being made participants In a gigantic medical experiment of uncertain outcome it is about time to commemorate the historic declaration that was issued to the world 75 years ago i invite you to come to nuremberg or join us online on august the 20th 2022 when i together with other doctors scientists lawyers and concerned citizens will reiterate what in the face of monstrous atrocities the court issued that resounding condemnation of coercive, mandatory, and ill-informed, inhumane experiments.
3: The New England Journal of Medicine wrote in 1997, on the occasion of the 50th anniversary, informed consent, the core of the Nuremberg Code, has rightly been viewed as the protection of subjects' human rights. The key contribution of Nuremberg was to merge Hippocratic ethics and the protection of human rights into a single code.
2: Now, mere 25 years later, it is about time that we, you and I, will assemble in Nuremberg to remind
3: captured regulators and the general public of this important fact. Where there is risk, there must be a choice. Informed consent and the right to opt are Two
2: principles of the Nuremberg Code. Today, the entire world population is being forced to... Okay.
1: Yeah, we just, uh, we had to cut it short because yeah. it's quite long, but I think you get the idea. You yes. Can also find that video online but it, it is the world's biggest medical experiment uh, or pharmaceutical experiment yes, isn't it yes uh, the the big COVID 19 vaccine rollout i think a lot of people uh, are just happy to see it in the rearview mirror and don't want to talk and think too much about it now they're just relieved that it seems to be over but uh, the fall and the winter are coming mike yeah and i think we're going to have to face these issues all over again certainly we'll talk about the monkeypox scare in a couple of minutes.
0: Indeed. Uh, Well, look, let's uh, bring this back on screen. We had it on Wednesday's programme. This was the latest all-cause mortality statistics from the Office for National Statistics. And I was making the point once again, as we've been doing week after week in recent weeks, uh, that uh, uh, we are experiencing in the UK deaths well above the five-year average. This is an inflated five-year average because it's now taking into account uh, the uh, peaks from the last two years. Um, and so we've got significant excess mortality every week uh, and no particular coverage in the mainstream press uh, up until now. Uh, but today, uh, in fact, The Telegraph has uh, decided to jump on this. And it was, I believe, on the front page of the physical newspaper today. It was, yes. Uh, so and the headline is lockdown affects fear to be killing more people than COVID. Uh, so that's quite a headline bearing in mind, uh, you know, UK column, 21st Century Wire. Others were talking about this. Uh, right back in May 2020 that lockdown was going to do exactly this. Um, So let's look see what they're saying. Figures for excess deaths from the Office for National Statistics show that around 1,000 more people than usual are currently dying each week from conditions other than the virus. Um, They say uh, the Telegraph understands that the Department of Health has ordered an investigation into these figures amid concern that the deaths are linked to delays uh, to and deferment of treatment from conditions such as cancers, diabetes, and heart disease. No mention, you'll note there, of any kind of investigation into the effect of vaccination programs uh, on whether any of the excess mortality can be possibly linked to uh, uh, the rollout of various, you know, the the various uh, boosters and so on. But the article goes on to say this. uh, Dr. Charles Levinson, Uh, the chief executive of Dr. Call, a private GP service, said his company was seeing far too many cases of undetected cancers and cardiac problems, as well as disturbing numbers of mental health conditions. Uh, Hundreds, there's a quote from him, hundreds and hundreds of people are dying every week. What is going on? Delays in seeking and receiving health care are no doubt the driving force in my view. That's quite possible. The point is nobody knows. Uh, And I'm glad to see that The Telegraph is finally catching up with the UK column on this issue and uh, covering it. Uh, But let's just uh, put this uh, uh, in comparison to this article from the BBC this morning. Cornwall mother, 90, in 40-hour wait for ambulance. Uh, Let's look at the quote here. A 90-year-old woman waited 40 hours for an ambulance to arrive after a serious fall. Uh, Stephen Sims said his mother from Cornwall fell on Sunday evening and was made a priority by NHS 111 at... uh, 11 p.m. on Monday, Uh, an uh, ambulance arrived on Tuesday afternoon and she was in the vehicle for 20 hours at the Royal Cornwall Hospital before being admitted. So 40-hour wait for the ambulance to turn up, 20-hour wait in the ambulance itself for a 90-year-old woman. Patrick, uh, uh, whatever the cause of this excess mortality, the complete breakdown of the National Health Service is undoubtedly contributing to that.
1: Well, you know, the solution is, Mike, stay at home and save the nhs
0: yes wasn't that
1: the rallying cry it was that was the rallying cry remember that
0: so let's move on to california
1: california so this is a little bit of a legal victory here this is important uh cer- certainly for uh, freedom of worship freedom of speech a california church uh, which held services during COVID lockdowns has just won a, won a major court of uh, victory uh in california however there's still facing uh, harassment from local government officials. So let's take a look at this decision. Sixth District Court of Appeals reversed those rulings and $200,000 in fines assessed against pastors and the church. Uh, and they're here they're citing the US Supreme Court decision from 2021 ruling that the ban on indoor worship imposed by the California S- Gavin, Gavin Newsom, the, uh, the burgeoning authoritarian Democrat uh, pr- prospective candidate for the 2024 elections um, this was in violation of the first amendment so this is being couched under the first amendment so this is going to have ramifications we're talking about what would happen if there's another so-called pandemic right then decisions like this are going to be uh, really crucial um, because they're going to provide the legal basis for the way the courts are going to be uh, interpreting uh, future similar problems like this so this is this is huge. It has a potential also to go much further and much higher. And there's other court uh, cases like this that are currently being adjudicated, not just in California, but in multiple other states across the country. So you know we're going to see the legal backlash is just continuing, isn't it? Um, after the, uh, the the craziness that we've all experienced uh, over the last two and a half years.
0: Okay. Well, let's move on to monkeypox then.
1: <laughs> okay. Here we go. You ready? <laughs> so. There he is. He's praying. What's he praying for, Mike? Pr- no doubt praying for a vaccine. And uh, his prayers might be answered. Uh-huh. So, the monkeypox outbreak of 2022, it's going to go down in history as one of the greatest uh, pseudo pandemics uh, in history. Let's just take a look at where things are in the US. Oh, well, his prayers have been answered, Mike. Look at this. A deal's been struck to expedite the production of monkeypox vaccines in the US. A Denmark-based Bavarian Nordic will work with the local manufacturers in Michigan to package 2.5 million doses of the monkeypox vaccine in the U.S., which the U.S. has ordered uh, in, in July. So the direct collusion between these pharmaceutical companies mm. and governments, who's paying for this, right? I mean, Well, t- if
0: you remember right back at the very beginning, the British government placed an order with AstraZeneca for the AstraZeneca vaccine, several months before it was even begun clinical trials and so the question then was if you remember we asked the question did that mean that AstraZeneca was going to get the shoe in no matter the result of the uh, clinical trials or was the government just spending taxpayers money uh, and if it failed the clinical trials then they would that, that those would be scrapped but either way AstraZeneca was the winner.
1: And also because of the international scarcity uh, uh, factor, all these countries were seen to be competing for these scarce right. doses at the beginning. You remember that? Yeah. So the, you have to get your order in early, even before it's even gone through any clinical uh, trial. So again, this just stinks of the biggest uh, scam and grift uh, ever. So here's what's going on with monkeypox. Of course, they continue to target the gay community as the sort of source of this pandemic. U.S. is now offering extra monkeypox vaccines for gay pride events can you believe this Mm -hmm. so again and there's just very little if any scientific work being done to sort of validate or show any evidence that this is actually a genuine epidemic it seems to be so far mike relying on one thing we'll show you what that thing is i think you guys can figure out um how they're doing their biosurveillance but this one really took the biscuit here with the daily mail Lucky they have a health section to keep us all informed. German monkeypox patient whose nose started to rot because of an undiagnosed HIV and syphilis left in his immune system, left his immune system ravaged. This is a 40-year-old guy in Germany, shows up to his GP. Apparently, we'll show the picture because it was in the mail. Um, And I warn viewers, this is uh, quite disturbing. But here we go. It's the mail. Uh, So we're we're told this is the picture of this poor chap uh, in Germany, 40 years old, But you know what, they don't really tell you what's going on in the context of this. And turns out, Mike, he was in pretty diabolical shape. How did they know he had monkeypox? Well, it helps to take a look at the actual medical report here. Thank you to Dr. Mark Bailey for supplying this to us. Uh, A 40-year-old male presented to his GP with a red spot on the tip of his nose, which they thought was a sunburn, uh, and within three days the nasal area progressed to necrosis. And MPXV, that's the uh, new politically correct abbreviation for monkeypox, these lesions were confirmed by, ta-da, PCR test. So the PCR test to the rescue and a, a spread to the rest of the body, et cetera. Infections in his uh, groin area, I won't go into the gory details. But here's the important part, and they don't really make a big point of this. From a, from a medical point of view, concomitant syphilis advanced HIV infection. So this is what he had already. He had never had an STD test in his life, allegedly. So this guy was in appalling condition, Mike. And they're blaming this, this picture, the this spectacle you see in the media, it's just monkeypox. Mm. So it's really incredible. This is like the worst uh, gutter level of medical journalism, thanks to the Daily Mail. But the Daily Mail are gonna provide some nice takeaways for us. Look at this. So how do you know if you have monkeypox? Well, just look at the Daily Mail. They'll tell you: Have you got a fever? You might have monkeypox. Have you got a headache? You might have monkeypox. How about muscle and back aches? That's monkeypox. Swollen lymph nodes. That happens quite a lot for a lot of different things. But you know what? You might have monkeypox. Chills. Monkeypox. Exhaustion. Monkeypox. Legion's. Well, there's a hundred different things you can have. Legion's and ac- acne and pimples for. But according to the mail, this means if you've got any of these symptoms, you very well may have monkeypox. So run to get your vaccination and do it quick because supplies are running out. Yes. So there you go. So we've
0: got to be afraid, Patrick.
1: Well, yeah, but we'll put that back up on stage. We forgot that was the takeaway message here. Be afraid. That is the general takeaway point of this whole monkeypox farrago. Yes. And well...
0: Yes, okay, well look, uh, let's move on. If you like what the UK Column does and you would like to support us, then uh, please head over to community.ukcolumn.org. There are options to join us there and you'd be very much welcome and that would be appreciated. Uh, Or you could pick something up at the UK Column shop. Uh, And I do please uh, share any material you find on the various platforms as well. Uh, You notice the brand new Tube is uh, removed from that list at the moment, uh, the website is down. They've had some technical issues. Uh, We might talk a little bit about that in extra. Uh, But now let's uh, move on to uh, Ukraine. Patrick, And uh, what's the latest?
1: Up on screen here, we'll see this is the update for what's going on. This is Ukraine and NATO versus Russia, just to remind people, it's not just Ukraine. Uh, We're also involved in that if you live in one of the G7 or Western countries. So this is quite possibly the most contentious and big story right now. We'll look at this. UN chief, uh, he repeats call for military withdrawals. From the Zaporizhia region, this uh, houses the, Europe's largest nuclear power facility, multiple reactors. Antonio Gutierrez was in Lvov or Lviv, uh, depending on how you pronounce that. Recently, met with the great uh, and powerful Vladimir Zelensky, and he warns that uh, this is really dangerous. Now, Russia has been calling for uh, UN uh, or sorry, the International Atomic Energy Agency to come and inspect it because. One of the things that Russia's concerned about is the, uh, the different materials there that potentially could make a dirty bomb. That's one of the big, uh, aside from just general instability of the site uh, uh, causing a meltdown or a Chernobyl type event, that there are dirty bomb materials there. And if this, these were to fall into the hands of radical uh, nationalist or Azov battalion types, um, that would basically be beyond the pale as far as Russia's concerned. But let's just go back here. Military equipment and personnel should be withdrawn from the plant Further deployment of forces or equipment on the side must be avoided. The area needs to be demilitarized. So this is Antonio Gutierrez. Or Gutierrez he's the uh, Secretary General of the United Nations. And what he's asking for there is really to open the door for someone else to come and secure this facility. So this is the sort of you know Trojan horse for a UN peacekeeping force or a Western force to be uh, impl- uh, inserted into this, this conflict. Mm. And Russia is not having any of it. They're basically saying that, uh, you know, that means that there is it's basically going to be unguarded. And if it's not, if we're not guarding it and we know how to secure it, um, sending in any sort of other or demilitarizing, it's just totally out of the question. Mm. So th- this is where the contention is right now. And then over on, uh, this is RT, which is deemed by the UK government to be a Russian disinformation outlet. Here's what they're saying. Ukrainian forces are shelling uh, the, the city or near the plant here. This is a local official. Of Vladimir Rogov, He's saying that uh, seven shells hit the Russian-controlled city that hosts the Zaporizhzhia nuclear power plant, largest such facility in Europe. So both sides are uh, accusing each, uh, other. each other. And so the Western media, of course, is going to either A, play it neutral, which the New York Times tried to do this morning, which you get, give them a little bit of credit for, but they're going to lean in favor of Kiev mm-hmm. and lean in favor of Zelensky. So uh, in terms of That's controversy, that could be potentially uh, a big problem if something was to kick off. So a lot of people are uh, rightly hoping that it calms down and that that site's secured. But here, this is what's happening on the political front. Europe is basically saying no military aid Uh, in July, the data shows, for Zelensky. So they're they're slowing down on their sort of aid.
0: Now, is that because uh, they're losing faith or is that because they're actually running out of what they have to give?
1: I think it's probably the uh, the latter, uh, firstly, is, is costing a lot. This is no longer a election victory uh, platform point for Euro- any European leader. People are just getting tired of this conflict. They're facing austerity at home, ro- skyrocketing fuel prices as a result of sanctions. The penny's slowly dropping for the average person, the public. Even someone who's not politically minded mm-hmm. will be able to work out and put two and two together right. eventually. But this is just not good news for this guy here. So is this possible that we could be going from hero, he was hero, to zero and going very quickly? Well, let's take a look at the paper of record, the Deep State's in-house newsletter in Washington, D.C., that's the Washington Post. Zelensky faces outpouring of criticism from his own people, according to the Post, over failure to warn his people of an impending war. So this is an interesting twist to this story. So when the Washington Post runs a story like this, you know that the White House is backing off a little bit, or they're trying to create a space where they can insert something uh, in between them and their support for Ukraine. So the the, the, the argument they're making here is interesting. They're saying that Zelensky is saying, well, I couldn't, we didn't want to panic because the economy was losing $7 billion a month. Um, so therefore, you know, the intelligence wasn't certain, so we weren't sure. And they're saying, no, the U.S. intelligence and CIA said it was certain. Why didn't you listen to the CIA? So this is sort of the same thing they'd attack Trump for, right? Uh, for not listening to the intelligence services. Zelensky's making this argument of economy, and they're, they're trying to conflate this. Uh, uh, Joaquin Flores has a great t- channel on Telegram said this this morning. They're trying to make this similar argument, a moral argument of lives versus economy, the same type of argument that's made with lockdown and COVID. So you can see how the, these things are being framed right now. Right. So what what the next thing here is that he will be blamed for losing the war, okay? And so if that happens, and that could eventually happen, you'll see this president basically going from hero to zero and maybe leaving on a plane uh, out, out of his country to right. Switzerland or something. But let's look at this image here. This is from Getty, and this is interesting. This really just tells you everything you need to know. All these leaders coming to visit him. He's still wearing the green T-shirt. He's got the military thug flanking him on the right, and then the guy in the sort of shirt-tuck, you know, Benetton look on the left. I mean, the whole thing is media theater. They're trying to portray this image of Ukraine as this kind of westernized, uh, middle-class, sort of Silicon Valley, slightly woke uh, culture sort of they're performing here. And they're hoping that Western people are gonna eat this up, and then basically tell the governments, give, a, give this guy a lot of support, more arms, more money. And the whole thing is wearing really thin, Mike. And I don't think that this, this stage show is not going to survive the US midterms, I predict.
0: So uh, we bring Vanessa onto the program at this uh, point. Welcome to the program, Vanessa. And uh, well, let's talk about uh, uh, if governments are providing the weapons. Is there any other source?
2: Yeah, well, it's interesting. Interesting segue from what Um, Patrick just mentioned and in fact um, the article that I'm citing from here is from the Washington Post. So clearly here they are inserting the replacement for direct funding from uh, US and EU and UK governments. So this is a video that's been put out by an agency or a company called signmyrocket.com. I think it's fairly self-explanatory when you read what's on the rocket. So Basically, this is an organization that is encouraging people to donate to uh, the Ukrainian forces, and the more they pay, the larger the missile that their message will be written on, uh, I presume in um, indelible ink, uh, and that will be then um, fired at the Russian uh, forces. Um, Now, on their front page, you'll notice if you come down the familiar language, uh, you have a chance to kill all. So that tells us immediately what kind of tone is being set by all of these kind of organizations that have been established uh, as part of this crowdfunding um, industry, which is, according to George Eliasson, who's an independent journalist who's been in the Donbass since before 2014, This has actually been going on since 2014, but of course it's gathered momentum in the last few months since um, February. So um, if we go on to um, the next uh, slide, this is taken from the Washington Post article. So the most prominent crowdfunding group, although I would slightly disagree, but obviously it's the Washington Post. We can't expect them to be accurate. Sign My Rocket started by selling messages on Soviet-made 82 millimeter caliber mortar rounds for $30 each. But eventually, co-founder Anton Sokolenko realized that if it sold messages on more powerful weapons, benefactors from the United States, Britain, Germany, Canada, Switzerland, and elsewhere would pay even more. We got bigger and bigger shells, Sokolenko said in an interview from his home in Cherkasy, a city in central Ukraine. 95% of the orders are in English and most are from the United States. I would say that in most of the websites the UK is a close second. (laughs) So how it works, here you have instructions exactly what to do but if you look on the right hand side, signmyrocket.com, the total price for putting your message on the side of a a T-72 tank turret for example, $3,000. What I do have to say, and this was made clear in the Washington Post article, this is going under the, the legal radar. The, the, the military um, top brass are not sanctioning or endorsing this, but they're, they're turning a blind eye. So effectively, this is not legal tender, if you like. This is the crowdfunding industry. We saw it before in Syria with the White Helmets, for example, raising <laughs> millions in public funds With no transparency and no accountability, and this is exactly what is happening through these organisations.
1: Vanessa, (laughs) Vanessa, can I ask Mm. you? Do do you think it's possible Mm. that uh, none of these, uh, (coughs) eventually, none of these shells will actually make it to the front line? That this could be just a giant money-making scam? Yeah,
2: that's also what I was going to add, Patrick. Exactly. This is very possibly a sort of a, a massive money laundering operation. And as I said, there is no transparency. There's no accountability. Most of these organizations are taking public money and dispensing it without any, any accountability at all. And also something um, that we thought about also effectively what's happening here, the government is passing liability just as they did in Syria through the white helmet, they're passing liability onto the public for effectively sponsoring war crimes and crimes against humanity. So not only the donors and the sponsors, but also the organizations, the middlemen, that are effectively um, gathering public money to send into Ukraine. And as you said, we don't know, there is no, absolutely um, no proof that it's going and what it's claiming to do. <coughs> so here you have an idea of different prices, <laughs> depending on the size of uh, the missile. <laughs> sorry having a coughing fit um <clears throat> and the next slide you'll see one of the actual rockets with one of the let's say less controversial messages yeah
0: it's still, it's still pretty uh it's still pretty yeah. unpleasant putin say hello to my little friend
2: <laughs> and i have to say that that this is um, you know, as I said, this is relatively mild. Many of the photos that they're publishing online are far more incendiary, use the pun than this. Um, so again, this is from uh, the Sign My Rocket uh, Twitter account. Um, again, we have the language kill orcs with a personal text. I mean, Hi. this is the fact that this is being allowed on Twitter is extraordinary. But of course, it's not extraordinary. <laughs>
1: Yeah, explain Pretty to much. people what kill orcs means. I mean, it's, uh, it's obviously a reference to uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, yeah. So who, who are the orcs?
2: Well, I mean, the orcs are the, the, the monsters from, from Mordor, you know, the, the, the inhuman uh, beasts <clears throat> that were unleashed on humanity. So it's very clear what they are saying. And this dehumanization of uh, Russian forces and Russian people has been ongoing since 2014 <clears throat> so here it says quite clearly uh, again from the washington post article uh, sokolenko's organization has moved beyond mortar shells <coughs> and is selling inscriptions on anti-tank mines bomb laden drones vog 17 hand grenades etc etc he claims that the company has raised more than 150,000 for the ukrainian military again I, I do have to point out that the Ukrainian military is not actually um, <clears throat> officially endorsing these operations. Um, now, the next website that I want to look, look at, and this one is really particularly unpleasant, again, taken from this article, the website Revenge 4, launched three weeks ago by a, a Kiev um, native and IT worker, Nazar Gulik. Um, so basically, uh, what their tagline is, Uh, Revenge for Russia is a country that deserves the revenge of the whole world. What's your reason for wishing to take revenge? Ruined human lives and crushed dreams, decades of occupation and gunned down revolutions, man-made famine and global artificial disasters, help Ukrainian soldiers punish Russia for everything. I mean, this is just extraordinary hate-filled messaging. and guys, let's turn that back on the U.S. empire, the U.K. empire and the EU empires that have been doing that for centuries. So according to the same website, Russia is fueling conflicts worldwide. I would disagree. I would say the United States and its allies is doing so, destabilizing the situation in various regions. This affects overall stability, disrupt supply chains, leading to economic crises, famine and ruin lives of ordinary people. Incredible projection here. Ukraine believes in diplomacy as the only way to resolve conflict. That's why they never followed through on the Minsk agreement. However, Russia thinks differently and understands only the position of power. We are ready to defend ourselves in any way possible. <laughs> Then uh, they basically mention the money that is raised, 52,000. But then we come on to yet another one of these organizations, um, Drones for Ukraine Fund. Now, this is is one, Patrick, which I think definitely feeds into what you were talking about. Because what they are claiming is that they are making, they claim on their website they've raised a million dollars. And they've done this through creating key fobs Out of the skin of um, uh, Russian warplanes or helicopters, attack helicopters that have allegedly been brought down. So, again, I would raise the question where is the proof that these key fobs are being made from these materials? Move on, Mike, you'll get a picture of it.
0: Yep. So, there you go. Um,
2: Okay, so, yeah. Effectively, I mean, uh, th- this is absolute crime scam territory here. They go on then to the next slide. They claim, as they said, that they've made, raised one million. And let's have a look at things that they've actually supplied. So, a tells you how many, how many donated, and then more than 200,000 raised for charges. But where are these drones going? Well, if you go to the website, which is seemingly connected to drones for Ukraine, you'll find that in amongst the groups that it's going to is, guess what? The the Nazi, Azov, special forces, and most of these legions uh, or battalions or brigades or divisions (coughs) are either legion or related to various Nazi linked brigades. So here you have the Azov battalion thanking the public for sending them the drone. Short video.
3: Thanks everyone who donated to Drones for Ukraine Foundation
0: from Special Operation Forces Azov Kyr. Thank you everyone who donated to Drones for
2: Ukraine with SSO Azov Here is another one also sending drones in, but you know, this is called the project, but I come back to the fact, the Nazi brigade, so those donors, those sponsors and the organizations that are allegedly facilitating the supply of drones to Nazi war crime committing, crimes against humanity committing uh, groups are liable for prosecution, right? Um, And here you have Mikhail Fedorov, Vice PM and Minister of Digital Transformation of Ukraine talking about, if we go to the next slide, the crypto fund. Now who else raised money through Bitcoin, through cryptocurrency, of course ISIS and Al-Qaeda in Syria. So we're seeing a a very interesting pattern come through here. Um, The crypto fund of Ukraine raised uh, 50 million. Okay, moving on, um, he already uh, then talks about the fact that they've purchased, through donations from um, US public, is handed to armed forces of Ukraine to buy their first, uh, I can't read that Mike, can you read it for me, sorry. Yeah,
0: so it says the first helicopter pump, uh, purchased <laughs> by donations uh, is handed to armed forces of Ukraine. Uh, the MI2-AM1, is modernized with advanced medical equipment to save lives of both injured military and civilians, thanks to people from 110 countries for joining the fundraising.
2: Right. Um, So again, I come back to the fact that these donors, these sponsors, and these organizations are liable if it is found that the Ukrainian forces and the Azov battalions are found guilty of war crimes. This is an article from Time, uh, in February or March 2022. Ukraine has already spent million of the donations at cryptocurrencies on military supplies, including bullets that were delivered Friday. The Ukrainian government anticipates doubling the 50 million of crypto donated so far in the next two or three days. <clears throat> Most of the donations have been in Bitcoin and Ether. The 250 person ministry has managed to find suppliers in Europe and the U.S. for everything from the best food packages, bandages and night vision devices for the army and about of the suppliers to take crypto. So, as I said, where did we see the use of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin previously in Syria for the terrorist groups enabled by the United States, the UK and the EU? So, you know, we're seeing, I think, exactly what Patrick said. We're seeing now the withdrawal of the direct support from NATO member states and the replacement with these... Um, um, <laughs> Third-party agencies, outreach agencies that give the governments plausible deniability. I'd like to know if you agree with that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely another way to kind of uh, privatize or launder uh, support, ongoing support. But you know, this is just all a drop in the bucket. The U.S. just dumped mm. uh, four, or five billion mm. uh, into their coffers this month, uh, and a lot of there's a lot more and more resistance to this. So I think this is more about generating that ongoing public. Uh, political kind of support
0: well not only that it's it's also directly involving <laughs> the public in yeah. in the conflict yep. yeah uh, much more because yeah. uh, much more than uh, just having taxpayer money spent on it this is actually people giving their own money so they've taken an active role in they're the thing themselves they're invested in it they're yes. invested
1: in it and so my question is uh, if you're writing messages on these shells or these <laughs> uh, these drones I mean the Polish they polish guys uh, did a crowdfund for a, a back to backtar Turkish drone is three point four million euros, and it got shot down like the first week they put it up. So, what happens? Do you get a do you get a, a refund if you pay for a message and the Russians blow up the ammo dump on the Ukrainian side? I mean, what 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 are they offering in terms of uh, of refunds there? I mean, so what I just want to say when when the first Gulf War, the United States, and I remember this vividly. A student from my university wrote on the side of the bomb of an f-16 to saddam from uh, cal poly i went to cal poly for my bachelor's degree and when i saw that even at that young age i was only 20 and i realized that there's something very wrong with this i don't want to bomb anybody thank you very much i mean who are you speaking on behalf of but that was a thing that uh, i remember vividly Uh, at the time in the first Gulf War. This is the same sort of thing going on here. A lot of people are not going to buy this, Mike. There's a certain amount of people that will buy it and will support it, but a lot of people are gonna say this is just perverted. And I think there's a lot more reasonable people out there than we realize.
0: Yes, okay, now a couple of weeks ago, Vanessa was reporting on the bombing of uh, the dedication ceremony for the church. She's gonna talk a bit more about this in a second, but I just wanted to bring Baroness Cox on screen Uh, because she has written to Liz Truss uh, a week or so ago. Uh, So this is uh, to the Right Honourable Elizabeth Truss, MP. Let's just have a look and see what Baroness Cox uh, said. She said, Dear Liz, it's reported that jihadis in northern Syria recently attacked a ceremony marking the consecration of a new Orthodox church. I'm not going to try to pronounce the name of the town. Vanessa will remind us in a second. Uh, Two people were killed and over a dozen injured. Uh, The absence of any statement from the British government is a serious cause for concern especially amongst the local Christian population who already fear that the UK is indifferent to their suffering. Uh, I and many colleagues have raised similar urgent concerns about the plight of religious minorities throughout the war in Syria to no avail. I would therefore be very reassured by your commitment to a public statement uh, condemning the recent attack in the strongest terms and expressing support for Christians across Syria Uh, it's essential that the UK shines a light on perpetrators of this unprovoked and premeditated attack against innocent people. Uh, The freedom to believe, to pray and commit acts of worship uh, is a fundamental human freedom. So that's Baroness Cox. Vanessa, and uh, well, I'm not aware that uh, Liz Truss made any comment about this. I think uh, the response to that was uh, more silence.
2: Well, no, it wasn't silence, Mike. Of course, it was to sanction The leaders of the national defence groups in both of these Christian towns to sanction them for their solidarity with Russia. Effectively, when Russia has defended the Christian communities alongside Hezbollah, of course, uh, in the region, while the UK, while fanfaring their support of Christian minorities in the Middle East, have effectively funded and sponsored and equipped and armed. Groups that have ensured their cleansing. I mean, it's 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 just criminal, abject hypocrisy, unbelievable. Of course, she's not going to make a statement.
1: How how (laughs) can they be on the wrong side of history to that degree? I mean, what side of history do does the UK government think that they're on in Syria, uh, especially on this particular instance? Like, what do they benefit from sanctioning Christian local Christian militias that are defending their own towns against foreign backed jihadists, I mean, what, what do they hope to gain?
0: Well, it, it all depends who writes the history at the end of the day. Uh, we've got to make sure that the right people write the history yeah. so that, so that uh, they don't gain anything.
1: I, I don't think those textbooks are going to sell very well in 20 years time. Well, unfortunately. indeed.
0: Um, okay, let's uh, move on to online safety, uh, sort of related in, in some respects. So here's Sky News this morning and republished by quite a number of outlets. Uh, online safety bill campaigners join forces to urge next prime minister to prioritize new legislation. And they're saying a group of campaigners, survivors and families affected by abuse on social media have written to the Tory leadership candidates to urge the next prime minister to prioritize the online safety bill. Danielle Armitage is one of those to have signed the open letter addressed to the candidates. She was only 14 years old when she was groomed while playing an online interactive game for children. Uh, the man claimed to be 16 years old. However, he, in fact, was in his late 40s at the time. Campaigners are calling on Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak to, to resist calls to water down the planned internet safety laws and commit to uh, delivering them without delay. Now, of course, Patrick, the thing here is that uh, what that man was doing was illegal already. There's no requirement for additional legislation to deal with that. Grooming of children is already illegal. Um, and... Uh, So uh, the question is, what is the online safety bill all about? Well, we have been talking about this for, I think since 2017, when the first hints of this uh, were being uh, released and we were saying very much, it was about controlling narratives and dealing with what the government calls disinformation. Uh, Well, more and more uh, outlets starting to uh, also raise the alarm on this uh, and really reiterating what we've been talking about for uh, a long time. But this is Jonathan Sumption uh, this time speaking Uh, We're writing in The Spectator, the hidden harms in the online safety bill. Uh, And what does he have to say? Nadine Dorries, the culture secretary, says that it's all about protecting children and vulnerable adults. She claims it does nothing to limit free speech. Technically, she's right. Her bill does not directly censor the internet. It instead seeks to impose on media companies an opaque and intrusive culture of self-censorship, which will have exactly the same effect. Uh, He goes on to say, the real vice of the bill is Uh, that its provisions are not limited to material capable of being defined and identified. It creates a new category of speech which is legal but harmful. Uh, The range of material covered is almost infinite, the only limitation being that it must be liable to cause harm in some people. Unfortunately, that's not much of a limitation. Harm is defined in the bill uh, in circular language of stratospheric vagueness. Uh, It means any physical or psychological harm. Uh, as if that were not general enough. Harm also extends to anything that may increase the likelihood of someone acting in a way that is harmful to themselves, either because they've encountered it on the internet or because someone has told them. So uh, uh, I'm glad to see Jonathan Sumption speaking out on this. Uh, I think uh, it's uh, important that more and more people speak out on this, but uh, there certainly the debate is Lifting, and because as we get closer to the point where it actually starts to be debated in Parliament, uh, there's more and more debate in uh, in uh, the media.
1: His, his words are very sobering. They're yes, very sobering. I haven't had it, seen it put in that clear terms by anybody yet. So it's. I, I hope that that's going to provide a tool for other uh, people uh, to to speak out on this.
0: Yes. Now, in the meantime, Ofcom continues with its call for evidence for the first phase of online safety regulation. I recommend that everybody goes and has a look at this document. We originally, uh, when they released it, which I think was in June this year, uh, we reported on it then. But if you didn't see it then, go or you need to remind yourself of the contents, please do. It lists a range of questions and asks for uh, people to respond to them. There's no requirement to respond to all the questions. If we just put that back on screen, uh, I'm mentioning it again now because we're ra- rapidly running out of time and Ofcom has just uh, announced that uh, this is going to be the closing date for this, the 13th of September 2022. So only a few weeks to go on this if anybody wants to get involved. Uh, and I strongly suggest that people should be.
1: If you have any strong views on this, uh, it's highly uh, encouraged that you go and visit this and uh, take this opportunity yes. to, uh, to, to make your views known and uh, hopefully uh, this will make a difference.
0: Yes, indeed. But if we come back to the, uh, the Sky article for a second, um, underneath the sort of the main image that they put at the top of this article, uh, they, uh, they had this, uh, why you can trust Sky News. And there's a little T logo there, as you can see on the, just, just below it. And when you click on that link, it takes you to this page. Uh, on the Sky News website, uh, entitled the Trust Project, and I, do you see what's on the ticker tape on the underneath the the, the virtual studio there, Patrick uh,
1: uh-huh.
0: Skripal and his daughter Yulia in Salisbury. This is the the item that they've chosen for their graphic, Mm -hmm. Um, right? So the question is, I just wanted to take the opportunity to remind everybody what the Trust Project is. And if you want to know how we got to this point, if you look on the UK Column website on the section entitled censored, it's just ukcolumn.org slash censored. We have a timeline on there that shows uh, the events that led up to the publication of the online harms white paper, which eventually led to the online safety bill. Uh, And so in, uh, what's that, November, 2017, uh, the uh, Mercula Center for Applied Ethics established the trust project. Uh, and uh, so this was all about a, what, how did they describe it? Um, a, uh, a consortium, sorry, of top news organizations getting together to establish trust. No, I think we'll find that the correct terminology for that is cartel. Uh, and uh, well, we've seen, Patrick, over the last number of years, how the mainstream media launders information between the various components of the cartel, and it really is a cartel now.
1: Yeah, and, and this is just another little sort of device that they've fashioned out uh, to sort of give legitimacy to us, effectively uh, corporate propaganda. They're talking about you know trust indicators. You know, right. Let's look into this journalist's background. Are they trustworthy? Let's look at the uh, ethics and the fairness of this uh, publication. I mean, the stuff, the tripe that's put out in The Guardian, and The Times, uh, the mail, don't even talk about the tabloids. I mean, it's just ridiculous. The stuff that's put out on a daily basis, it just beggars belief that any of these people um, could put anything like a trust badge uh, on their new, on their news outlets, but that's exactly what they're attempting to do. Mm. So that's the in-group, isn't it? That's the, that's the club. That's the club. If you get a badge, you're in the club. If you're not, you're out.
0: 100%, and when we look at the online safety bill and how that's gonna operate, journalistic content is protected, but only if you've got that badge. Hmm. Only if you got that badge.
1: Yeah, I mean these are. These, don't just. I'll say this. These are publications that that reserve resources and deploy journalists and researchers to do attack pieces on members of the public and academics and and journalists and Vanessa and and journalists like Vanessa and many others. Yes, some of whom I'll, we'll see. They'll be speaking at the Beautiful Days Festival. Uh, uh, David Miller, Piers Robinson, Tim Hayward all these people have been politically targeted by these same papers with their trust badges and careers ruined. Why? Because they hold views that slightly veer off of what is the so-called consensus reality. So, you know, what side do you want to be on on that argument? I'll tell you, I'm with the truth uh, every time and I don't no idea what the mainstream media is up to when it comes to the truth. I really don't know. Well, indeed.
0: Uh, so, uh, well because Gazette, Gazette, we could have chosen others uh, GB News secures 60 million pounds from investment from amid Warner Brothers Discovery buyout. So uh, basically, uh, they've got a second round of funding. I believe that matches what they had in their first round of funding. Uh, the Warner Brothers Discovery, have been their shares have been bought out uh, by Legatum Ventures Limited and Sir Paul Marshall, the hedge fund uh, uh, manager. Uh, and uh, so the co-founders, that's Andrew Cole and Mark Schneider, they've resigned as directors. Schneider's going to remain on the editorial committee, uh, but that, that uh, £60 million is going to bring some new voices on there, some mm. of whom might be good, some of whom may not be. Uh, Michael Portillo is one that's uh, been touted as being a new face for GB News. Oh, is this
1: nice, a major BBC pundit going over to uh, GB News. So what, what is this at the end of the day? What do you think is going on here? Does this look like a hostile takeover? through the back corporate door?
0: Well, it's going to be very interesting to see whether editorial policy changes uh, over the next period. Obviously, they have uh, taken at least some of their uh, uh, people have taken a very useful line on certain topics like vaccination, adverse reactions uh, and so on. So we'll see whether that continues.
1: You know, so Mark Stein, how long will Mark Stein survive uh, with this new this new look GB News? Who knows, they might cycle him out. Will, That'll be a litmus test, is it? It will it? be. Will Mark Stein remain on that network? And Neil Oliver, there's yeah. a few others too. How long will they survive? Are they gonna give it a complete makeover and turn it into sort of an edgy version of ITV? Uh, is it, that's the big question, so we'll see.
0: Yeah, indeed. Uh, now, we haven't commented yet on the Alex Jones situation.
1: Yeah, well, again, online harms, uh, online safety, uh, free speech. So this is kind of an important story, you know, And this headline sums it up Love Him or Hate Him. The war on Alex Jones is a war against all of us. And this is on Revolver, excellent uh, news site in America. So Alex Jones is being uh, dragged through the courts in America. They did this huge settlement. I don't know how many million?
0: 48 million or so in total at the end.
1: 48 million for uh, supposedly um, uh, upsetting the uh, families of the victims of Sandy Hook. Okay. Now, he's not going to have to pay that out, of course, because maximum damage, uh, damages per plaintiff in the state of Texas will be about 750000 so there's about $5.6 in total. That's all. Plus, he's, I think, put Infowars, or the parent company, into bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. They'll start a new vehicle. So that's all manageable from that side, but what, from a business side, he'll just keep going. But on this side, what does this mean for free speech? Because the First Amendment is invaluable. If you upset somebody, no matter what you say, as long as it's not a fire in a crowded theater, it's not, as long as it's not incitement of actual violence, legally that's protected speech. So this type of court decision has basically opened the door for, and not, not, unlike the online harms bill, Mike, right. just wildly vague, and you know it might psychologically damage somebody. I mean, what's this going to do to speech in general? So this is why love him or hate him, Alex Jones is now on the front line. He is the poster child of free speech uh, in the United States, and I don't think a lot of people realize this yet, Mm -hmm. but if you think this is okay just because it happened to Alex Jones, that he's been targeted, the judges are becoming more political, and I'll throw this out just finally. Do you think if Alex Jones was a Democrat Party supporter and that he was campaigning for Hillary Clinton and he got caught in this same uh, uh, Sandy Hook controversy, uh, do you think he would get dragged through the courts and the judges would rule against him in such an incredible fashion
0: i, he, I suspect not this, he, is, he, this is trump he's, really is.
1: a lot of these legal actions came after donald trump's campaign and alex jones campaigned for donald trump and arguably took brought a whole lot of voters to the trump camp okay mm-hmm. so that's not a coincidence so again this is political and what we're seeing now and what we'll show you with the fbi right now hugely political judges are hugely political they're they're taking people down uh, based on their political beliefs or affiliations. Mm. That is America today. So Alex Jones is definitely, I think, caught up partly in that this the political just makes it convenient for them to go completely uh, go after free speech and freedom of the press. Yes. So there we are.
0: Okay, so uh, let's move on to climate then. And uh, well, there is no climate emergency, uh, according to the Global Climate Intelligence Group. Uh, and they've uh, published or updated their declaration. It now has, I think, uh, 1,104 signatories on on this, Uh, and they're saying climate science should be less political while climate policy should be more scientific. Uh, Scientists should openly address uncertainties and exaggerations in their predictions of global warming uh, while politicians should dispassionately count the real costs as well as the imagined benefits of their policy measures. And the parallels with, uh, with COVID policy here, Patrick, of course, uh, but let's uh, put this back on screen and run through a few of the comments that they make. They say that natural as well as anthropogenic factors cause warming, uh, and you, you can read the, the main context of this. They say warming is far slower than predicted. Uh, they're saying climate policy relies on inadequate models, just like COVID. Uh, they're saying CO2 is plant food, the basis of all life on earth. Um, and they're saying that global warming has not increased natural disasters. Uh, Climate policy must respect scientific and economic realities. Uh, And finally, they say our advice to the European leaders is that science should strive for a significantly better understanding of the climate system while politics should focus on minimizing potential climate damage by prioritizing adaptation strategies based on proven and affordable technologies. So that's the position they're taking and quite a number of people from the scientific community, including Nobel laureates, uh, that have uh, signed on to this. The
1: lead signatory is in fact a Nobel uh, laureate. So yeah, definitely check out that website and and read what they have to say. These are things that have been out there for a while, but it's nice to see it brought together and packaged in in such a good way. Um, But so if you want to go further on this particular topic, go to 21st Century Wire. This is the lead uh, story right now by French journalist, Freddie Ponton, One Health. This is the sort of the globalist uh, UN sustainable development banner going forward for, for climate, for, for viruses, and for food security. And this is the third part of his series, Food Security and the Catalyst for Manufactured Emergencies. And climate change is absolutely central in this argument that we need to secure food, global food supplies. So we need to uh, advance policies that are climate friendly, like net zero carbon and all this, to secure the world's food supplies, to avert a food security disaster. And they're also putting COVID in there. Zoonotic diseases could threaten the food supply, et cetera. And so all the things that we had, supply chains, disruptions, lockdowns, all that's being blamed on COVID. So then that instead of policy being blamed, it's all about, no, it's the virus or it's the climate change. Mm -hmm. And it has nothing to do with government, just suicidal, economic, suicidal, dysfunctional government policies so he breaks this down really well uh, in this it's quite a lengthy piece but in terms of research i can say that the research done here and in the other two articles on one health are second to none that is the framework going forward for the next decade that they're trying to basically run to to couch all these things under the one health approach so food security is is the other part of that you're seeing that the dutch farmers controversy yes. and the, the protests there that's central that's mentioned in this article as well
0: right Dutch farmers uh, German farmers now as well as we're reporting and in fact Serbian farmers uh, as well so this is spreading right across Europe uh, but uh, Patrick uh, let's move on then back to the US and the US elections
1: so the midterms are coming up that and this is really a uh, a forerunner to the 2024 elections Donald Trump of course had his home raided in Mar-a-Lago that's being fleshed out right now in the media and the courts But uh, the U.S. media is just, I mean, the Washington Post, I have to say this, you know, I look at the Washington Post daily, and I am searching for news stories on their front page, and I can't find any. All you find is political articles about January 6th. This one was leading today, this morning, Trump's personality cult and the erosion of U.S. democracy. So it's all about how the GOP is getting radicalized by Trump. Meanwhile, if you look at the polls, Donald Trump's doing incredibly well in the polls, Mm. better than Joe Biden, in fact. So the media, or the Bessos Post, the New York Times, all these people, they're geared in a political way to sort of shape the political conversation, mm. and they're not doing any journalism at all. You cannot find very many actual news stories that are interesting on the front of the Washington Post every day. So go and try it for yourself. I'm, I'm struggling badly, but here's the big story, and this is not getting coverage, but eventually it will. And back to Revolver here, Darren Beatty's website. Release the tape. The revolver has definitive proof of FBI's hiding critical footage of the January 6th pipe bomber. Now, when the January 6th controversy happened, you watch the news, there were reports of pipe bombs Mm. on site. And all of a sudden, that went quiet. Nobody talked about it. So right now, there's evidence of footage, but this footage is not being uh, requested by the vaunted January 6th committee being run by Liz Cheney, Adam Schiff, and the others. So why, why do they not want to see the video of a pipe bomber, alleged pipe bomber, that targeted the DNC headquarters on January 6th? You'd think that would be the first thing they would want. They don't want to see it. They don't want to know about it. Everyone wants to bury it. What does that mean? I mean what could it possibly mean? I mean, could it be, could it be, pray tell, that this pipe bomber was an FBI informant or he's being handled by an FBI informant? I mean, that's the obvious question mm. that everybody's asking. This is basically what Darren Beatty's saying in this amazing Revolver article. Here's Darren Beatty. We have a short video clip uh, with uh, Tucker Carlson uh, just from two days ago. But let's, let's listen to what he has to say.
3: So will you, will you explain to us, uh, for those who may have been confused by the tape, which was a, that we just played, that was evocative, raised questions? What do you think this What is going on here? What does this add up to Well, first, what it definitively shows, this piece at revolver.news available right now shows definitively and without question that the FBI is withholding, hiding, concealing from the public critical footage of the pipe bomber actually planting the bomb, actually placing the bomb down. And the question is... WHY WOULD THEY DO THAT? WHY WOULD THEY HIDE PRECISELY THE PIECE OF FOOTAGE THAT WOULD BE MOST LIKELY TO HELP THEM GET THE PUBLIC TO CATCH AND IDENTIFY THE PERPETRATOR? AND FURTHERMORE, GIVEN THAT WE KNOW THAT THEY'RE HIDING THIS FOOTAGE AND THAT THE BOMB WAS PLACED OUTSIDE OF THE DEMOCRAT NATIONAL COMMITTEE BUILDING, ALLEGEDLY BY SOME MAGA TRUMP SUPPORTER JANUARY 6th PIPE BOMBER, why aren't Democrats demanding to Merrick Garland, to Stephen D'Antuono, to Christopher Ray that they release this piece of critical footage? What do you think the answer? I mean, that is so bizarre. I mean, they, they're constantly telling yes. you that right-wing extremists are the great terror threat that we face. So here you have a case where someone, somebody, actually did put a pipe bomb outside the DNC, and they don't seem interested in finding out who it was? That does not make sense at all. IT DOESN'T MAKE SENSE AT ALL. And LOOK, IF PEOPLE READ THE FULL PIECE OF REVOLVER NEWS, YOU'LL SEE THAT THIS IS JUST ONE OF MANY ABSOLUTELY MIND-BLOWING COINCIDENCES RELATED TO THE PIPE BOMB SITUATION. KEEP IN MIND, WE KNOW THIS PIPE BOMB THAT WAS ALLEGEDLY PLANTED THE EVENING BEFORE WASN'T DISCOVERED UNTIL AFTER THE RNC PIPE BOMB WAS DISCOVERED AT 1240. THAT MEANS THERE WAS AN ENTIRE MORNING OF PEOPLE WALKING BY OF PEDESTRIANS, OF MOTORISTS, OF DNC SECURITY WHO DIDN'T SEE IT, AND EVEN THE SECRET SERVICE ITSELF, WHICH WE KNOW BY REPORTS, SWEPT THE AREA, CHECKED ENTRANCES. THE PIPE BOMB WAS PLACED JUST FEET AWAY FROM AN EXIT TO THE DNC BUILDING, AND THE SECRET SERVICE MISSED IT. AND THEY MISSED IT SO THAT THE ACTUAL PIPE BOMB WOULD FIRST BE DISCOVERED AT THE RNC, DISCOVERED AT 1240. And so when it was... Re- so, so...
1: So how does that sound? Does it sound plausible?
0: It sounds like a setup.
1: Yeah. So, so that's, that's the January 6th committee in a nutshell. Yes. The, 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 the insurrection, um, it, there's a lot of people that believe the FBI was uh, actively involved in that. There were informants active, people, agent provocateurs. This has all been questioned publicly. The press is ignoring it. Now, this story is going to be very difficult to ignore, but they'll still try to ignore it. So this tells you we have a very skewed and uh, very politicized and very corrupt justice system and political uh, atmosphere right now in America, extremely, extremely worrying.
0: Yes. Okay. Right. Well, let's uh, end on some good news, Patrick, and uh, very, very briefly. Uh, We can't continue to dig a hole, uh, dig into a hole at 9-11 Tribute Museum in New York closes permanently
1: well good news or bad news depending on who you ask here but uh, so here's the 9-11 tribute museum in New York City they're running out of cash they're blaming COVID and basically yeah, two-thirds of their revenue comes from uh, people visiting but nobody wants to visit and even after lockdown's been raised nobody's coming to watch it so the interest in the 9-11 memorial has basically evaporated uh, so they're, they're having to shut down can you imagine that A 9-11, they can't even subsidize a 9-11 museum of all the things. The money they threw at COVID, they can't subsidize it, but yet they're blaming COVID uh, for its closure. I mean, really unbelievable. Just take a little piece of the PPE budget. Uh, for the, for City Hall in, in New York City. That would fund that museum probably for about 10 years. Yes. But anyway, hey, we're not in charge of the budget.
0: No, indeed. Okay, well, we've got to leave it there. Uh, thank you much, very much to Vanessa and Patrick for joining us today. We'll be back in a few minutes on the main live stream for a little bit of extra. Uh, other than that, we'll see you 1 p.m. as usual on Monday. Hope everyone has a great weekend, and we'll see you then. Bye-bye.